serve a, a risen Savior, he certainly does live. Right now, I invite the kids to go to their program, see them run. We'll see you guys in a little while. <laughs> Sometimes, uh, I don't know if you have this happen, you just have these random childhood memories uh, pop into your heads. Since my, uh, some of my family's here, I'll, I'll try not to share some of those memories, but... Um, but one that I thought of this week is uh, my dad, when we were younger, he would uh, travel for business. And one time he, he came back from the East Coast with, uh, with live lobsters uh, in an ice chest. And uh, I don't know if you were even old enough to remember this. Yeah. So um, we, we never had lobster uh, growing up, and uh, certainly we never had them uh, cooked live. It was a pretty interesting experience. Um, and, you know, they look sort of like this, and it's kind of... You know, they're kind of creepy when they, they look that way. Um, and so as I was thinking about the sermon this week and that story, um, I thought there's dramatically different reactions uh, to lobster, to shellfish. Uh, some say, you know, ew, they're creepy, you know, they're giant, you know, insects-looking things. Um, others uh, they all oh, no, that looks good, but then they have a, you know, um, uh, reaction and they swell up and they they have to have an injection uh, after eating a shellfish and and others just devour it up they just think this is tasty in fact even now as I'm telling this story I'm getting a little bit hungry for for lobster dipped in in butter and in garlic so dramatic different uh, reactions to the same thing and and we've seen in the book of Mark so far that um, people had dramatically different reactions to the same Jesus, the same message, the same person. They saw the same things, and yet they responded in wildly different ways. And that's kind of what we've been seeing in Mark so far. But our question today is, uh, but why? (laughs) Why do people respond so differently to the same message? Why do some people get super defensive when you talk about Jesus in others, it might be a complete stranger that you meet, um, and you talk about Jesus, and there's this instant camaraderie, and they, there's an embracing of the message. We see people from similar uh, backgrounds and similar levels of education uh, that both uh, accept and reject Jesus. We see uh, kids who grew up in the, the same home, siblings, where one will embrace the message of Jesus and another will reject it. So... So why, when the message is the same? And we'll see today that it has to do with with a heart that's receptive to embracing Jesus. People from all walks of life accept and reject Jesus, and the difference is is in their heart readiness. So catching us up a little bit, in Mark chapter 2, we first saw that not everybody welcomed Jesus because he made them uh, uncomfortable. He exposed uh, their hearts. he showed a kind of grace that makes us uncomfortable, the kind of people he hung out with. Um, people got real nervous about that. So we f- see the first signs of the fact that some people don't welcome Jesus. Then chapter 3, as, a, as his ministry kind of ramps up and gets more intense, we see the divide getting clearer, where um, it's kind of divided between those who are really self-righteous and have no need for Jesus and those who are self-seeking, just kind of want to get the goodies from Jesus and then those who are self-sacrificing and really follow him as, as their master. And then, and then last week we saw that it's really the true disciples that 
that really embraced Jesus. And we see this, um, this circle around Jesus of those who really uh, sit at his feet and uh, abide in him and obey his words. They cling to him. They embrace him. And then those who are outside looking in and wondering what in the world is, is going on there. And so that sets us up to answer the question, but why? So at this point in Mark, um, we have recorded Jesus' stories, his parables, his explanation of why this takes place. So answering basically two questions today, one is why are there different responses among those who hear the message of Jesus? And the answer is because not everyone's heart is ready for that message. And so in the parable of the sower, we'll see four different kinds of heart um, conditions. And the second question we'll look at is, why are there different results among those who actually receive the message of Jesus? So um, those who are true followers of Jesus, we still see wildly different um, uh, behavior and a response to the gospel message as it, as it plays out in their life. And, and part of that is because not everyone really understands how the message uh, works, <laughs> how the gospel of God's rule, the gospel of the kingdom works in our, in our lives. So we'll see four clarifications about that. So we are in Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 34, and if you are using one of those Bibles in the pew in front of you, that's on page 839. And it starts out like this. Bless you. <laughs> and again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him so that he got into a boat. And he sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And as Mark often likes to do, he kind of paints this picture so you can kind of see, oh, yeah, Jesus is out in the boat. He's sitting in the boat on the water, and everyone's kind of clumped around on the sea, and, and he's teaching them like was his, his habit to do. Um, so far in the book, Mark's mentioned Jesus teaching a bunch of times, but he's never told us what Jesus actually taught uh, until now. And he taught them in parables. And as uh, Paula mentioned this morning, um, there's uh, this meaning of parable. It is more like a, a proverb. Um, in fact, a parable is more easily defined by what it isn't than by what it is. And we've, we've commonly talked about uh, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, you know, kind of a, you know, an a spiritual Aesop's fable or something. You know, it has a, a story with a point to it, which it, it can be that. Um, sometimes it's just really weird sayings. <laughs> sometimes it's something kind of a, you know, proverbial. Um, but what it isn't is just clear uh, prose, clear statements. And so a parable is enigmatic speech. It's something kind of uh, unusual, sometimes poetic, sometimes a story. It's just not straightforward propositional statements. So the first uh, parable he tells is a parable about parables. It's a mysterious message about the mysterious message of God's rule. And so here it is. He starts out by saying, listen, verse 3, look. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, along the path, and the birds that came, and they devoured it up. And other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Well, other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up, increasing, and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold. 
And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he tells the story. And then as, this is, as was his habit, uh, he gives the parable to everybody. And then with his, his insiders, his disciples, his followers, he explains. So uh, in verse 10, he's with the, the smaller group of his true followers. Not just the 12, but, but others who followed him. It says, and when he was alone, those around him, kind of same imagery of our last passage, you picture these people just gathered around in a circle. Those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything's in parables. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? So Jesus goes on to explain in this parable, why are there different responses among those who hear the message of Jesus? And it's certainly nothing wrong with the messenger, <laughs> and it's nothing wrong with the message, but it's a difference in hearts. And first we see that hard hearts keep some from ever embracing the message of Jesus. He explains the, the seeds that fell on the hard soil. Verse 14, the sower sows the word, and, those, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and he takes away the word that is sown in them. Hard soil equals hard hearts. I'm going to borrow, just to give references here, (laughs) borrow Warren Wiersbe's little descriptive phrases. The hard hearts are the the hard soil. Uh, The scribes that we saw recently, uh, they were hard-hearted because they were self-righteous. They did not think they needed um, a savior. The moralist, one who is just um, earning their salvation by just being good, doing the right thing, they're invested in a system to earn favor with God, and they don't realize, they won't accept that they need a savior. Their heart is hard to the fact that they need help. The, the hedonist, the one who just seeks pleasure, thinks they have everything right here that they need, so they don't need help. It's like uh, if you have some condition where you desperately need uh, help, but you won't admit that you have a problem, then you're not going to go uh, get the help that you need. That's kind of how it works uh, with the gospel. The moralist, that person, the you know the scribes, the Pharisees who had this system of earning God's favor, so to speak, still at times I think those kind of people who exist today might lie awake at night wondering, have I done enough? Have I been good enough? Have I kept up the commands of God good enough to uh, impress him at judgment day or to be really okay inside? And Satan whispers, you just need to try a little harder. And that gospel message is snatched up. Okay, I don't need a savior. I just need to try harder. The pleasure seeker might lie awake at night wondering, why do I still feel empty? <laughs> I got all these things. I'm just indulging in every kind of thing I could find, and I still feel empty. And Satan whispers, you just need another, another fix, another thrill, another drink, another relationship, another chocolate cheesecake. Whatever it is, you just need to indulge a little more. That thought will go away, and the seed is just plucked up before it ever takes root. The hard hearts. 
these hardened hearts keep some from ever coming to a place where they truly uh, consider Jesus and embrace him. But some, they seem to respond just really uh, readily, as we see in verse 16. And Jesus goes on to explain, well, these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for just a little while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. We might call this uh, shallow hearts. The message didn't really penetrate all the way. The rocky soil is the shallow heart. They quickly respond until things get hard. Until there's uh, persecution or there's a, a social stigma against your belief or there's political opposition to, to your, uh, your faith in Jesus. And, uh, and it dries up. When persecution comes, they fall away. An emotional response to the gospel is typically uh, short-lived. Sometimes a true response is certainly accompanied with emotion as we come to grips with, with the greatness of our salvation. But, uh, but sometimes an emotional response is an is a easy come, easy go. Uh, here we don't typically have really drawn-out altar calls and I'm telling tearjerker stories, and we're playing a song, several verses, you know, in a minor key until, you know, somebody comes and repents. We, we just don't really do that here uh, because we're not trying to emotionally sway somebody into the kingdom because we find that it doesn't stick, so to speak. Uh, I've been uh, at enough youth camps to know that not every decision uh, at camp uh, plays out in, in real life. Uh, Doug Fields, he is a youth pastor. He might still be a youth pastor. Really large church, big ministry. He wrote a bunch of books on youth ministry. And I heard him talk once, and he said the saddest day for a youth pastor is, uh, it th- is Thanksgiving weekend. I thought, well, that's funny. He says that's when the kids who've been in your ministry, they go off to college, and that's the first time you see them. They come home, and you see the ones who fell by the wayside. They're like, ah, well, I'm not really going to church anymore. I'm not... Haven't really, you know, haven't really been walking with the Lord or however they might phrase it. And you realize uh, they didn't really embrace Jesus. They followed him when it was easy, when that's what, you know, everyone was doing in their, their friend group. But when it got hard, they fell away. This is not just a problem for students. This is a problem for any age. So shallow hearts keep some from ever really embracing Jesus. Well, some, it's the difficulty that exposes the hearts, but some, it's the, the pleasure, the good that expose our hearts. Sometimes uh, we could say that crowded hearts, this divided attention, keeps some from embracing Jesus. Okay, we go on in the parable, verse 18. Others, you know, other seeds, are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and they choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So this thorny soil, it's, it's a divided heart. It's a crowded heart where the pursuit of, of, uh, of money or prestige or, or whatever it might be, the accolades, it competes for the attention, the allegiance that belongs to Christ. Uh, I talked to... 
a friend this week on the phone. Uh, he has his, um, he already had his, his uh, MBA, a master's in business administration, and then he just finished his, uh, his MDiv, his uh, Master of Divinity. And I said to him, congratulations, now you have two masters, one money and one God. So I know, I know this is not what this means exactly, but we well, notice in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. He's going to use these both for good, not evil. Because either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. So it's this, this torn, this divided heart. These other things become more important. And, it's, and we discover that there was no true, deep in the heart, embracing Jesus. So some people, I think, uh, make a decision for Christ. They get involved in church. They get involved in spiritual things to round out their portfolio. So they have other things set in life. Things are, things are good. But what about eternity? I better make sure I'm good there too. And so, and so they, um, they pray a prayer to receive Christ or they, they give to the church or they get involved somehow to kind of cover all the bases. Uh, the rich young ruler, when Jesus encountered him, was a similar question. E- even how it introduces him. He was rich, he was young, he was a ruler. You know, so, so money, power, whatever. And uh, you can picture him, I got all the bases covered, I got everything, but, but how do I make sure I'm good for eternal life? And Jesus says, well, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, then, then follow me. And it was, it was too much. <laughs> He couldn't, he couldn't release his grip on those things to follow Jesus. The reaction he gave revealed his heart. Because crowded hearts, they keep some from embracing Jesus. But thankfully, some really receive the word. It takes root in their hearts, and they are transformed. Verse 20, those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. And they bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. The receptive hearts allow some to really embrace Jesus. So, but, but why? What's the reason they embraced Jesus? The messenger didn't change. The message didn't change. The hearts changed. The good soil is prepared hearts. Really interesting in this, in this parable and really this whole chapter, we see this unique interplay of uh, the complete sovereignty of God and the true invitation to respond to to Christ. And so we see God's spirit is at work to prepare the soil, prepare hearts. And what he asks for you to do is to uh, listen, (laughs) look, verse 3, to hear it, verse 9, to hear it, verse 23, to pay attention, 24. All these are ways to say, um, to embrace this message, hear it with your, with your heart. Don't, don't uh, listen to your heart, but listen with your heart. Jesus calls you to receive this good news of the kingdom and internalize it. Now, we can hear, and then we can really hear. <laughs> so you could hear the words that somebody's saying. You can e- actually pay attention closely to the words, but not uh, with your with your heart, so to speak, not with the deep down. Uh, this is true, like, in a speech class. I don't know if anybody's taken a speech class where 
where the students also uh, evaluate the person speaking. Has anybody done that? Just me? No, some? Okay. It's terrifying. Uh, well, unless you're the one just with the paper, uh, but if you're the one up, up speaking, it's terrifying. And so you can be paying attention real closely as a student watching your, your, your friend up there give his speech, and you can be carefully counting how many times he says, um, or like, or, uh, or places where his uh, outline is not clear, or he uses, um, you know, some funny phrase. You could be intently listening for those things and, uh, and completely miss what the speech was about. So we can hear without really hearing with our heart. On the other hand, picture you are on a flight. You're cruising along, and the pilot comes on and says, you know, this is your captain speaking. Um, both of our engines went out, and we'll, we'll probably crash land into the ocean. And so we're just going to replay the, the flight uh, emergency information again for you, you know, as we're, as we're coming in for a crash. So will you pay attention to that information in a whole different way than you did uh, at the beginning of the flight? Because it's very, you know, it's very timely. It's very urgent. Yes, I'm going to completely embrace that whole video with my whole heart as we are plummeting into the ocean. Do you, do you show a video on your, on your plane? No. <laughs> no, you just say, hold on. Uh, that's good. So why are there different responses among those who hear the message? It's because not everyone's heart is ready for the message. But some embrace it. But even among those of us who have called Jesus our master, we've put our uh, allegiance uh, in Christ, we follow him, there's still a, a big discrepancy in how that plays out in our lives. Uh, verse 20 again, it says that some uh, they bear fruit because they've received the word, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold. Well, one thing interesting about that is that this is a parable about six seeds, isn't it? Not, not just four, because three fell, three, you know, three were a fail and three uh, took root. But the three that took, took root and were legitimate uh, they had wildly different uh, responses in fruitfulness. Because, among other reasons, some of us just don't really understand how the message is supposed to work in life. So Jesus tells four little, just real short parables that explain and clarify uh, about the message of the kingdom of God. So, verses 21 and following. And the first parable, I think, explains that the message is not intended to remain a mystery, so we should be telling it. And so he tells this little story, or a little illustration, a parable. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? And the answer is no, that's not what you do with a lamp. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So Jesus had a message that's going to change the world, that is changing the world, that has changed the world. And he called it a mysterion, a mystery or a secret, something that was previously you know, not, not known. But some people 
I think, get confused thinking it's supposed to continue to be a mystery, (laughs) continue to be hidden. In fact, in Jesus' days, there were different uh, religions that were kind of secret societies where the entrance into it was kind of knowing the secret, and you don't really, you know, it's like the secret handshake thing or whatever. You don't just widely spread it. And uh, Jesus says, no, this message is not like that. It's not supposed to remain hidden. It was not readily evident, even to those who studied the Old Testament scriptures, that the Messiah was going to be a suffering Messiah. It was not readily evident that the Messiah was going to be for the Gentiles. There were things about the the gospel message that were previously uh, clouded and obscured and hidden. And then Jesus throws it wide open and says, guess what? Something new (laughs) is happening here. And this made me think about Easter eggs. So if you want to keep your children from eating uh, candy inside of plastic eggs, do you go and hide Easter eggs around the yard and tell them about an Easter egg hunt to keep them from eating candy? No, no. So an Easter egg hunt is not to keep your kids from eating candy, right? So the mystery of the kingdom is not so we couldn't figure it out. You see the connection. Some of you, some of you will see that in a minute. <laughs> so w- the lesson for us is uh, we can't just sit in the pews and be smug that we figured out the message. <laughs> we need to go tell the world about the mystery that Jesus Christ has come and he offers us life in him, and the rule of Christ is, is taking over the world. Well, he tells another little story that lets us know that the message yields what you put into it, so we should just invest our lives completely in the message of the kingdom. Verses 23 and to 25. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Does that sound familiar? Again, he's calling us back to, come on, pay attention. And he said to them, well, here he just says it. Pay attention <laughs> to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So, the message, the gospel, is not just something you say, uh, okay, I believe that, and then go on with your life. Some honestly view it that way. Like, oh, yeah, you know, I was at sixth grade camp and I, I raised my hand and prayed to receive Christ. Or I, I walked down the aisle one time or, or you know, um, third grade, Sunday school, I, I prayed that prayer and, and so I'm good to go and then, then move on. No, the gospel message is supposed to permeate every moment of our lives where we constantly are bringing our attention back to it because what we put into it is what we see the gospel bear fruit in our lives. With the same kind of measure you invest, that's what you get out of it. Some even uh, insiders, so to speak, those who have truly made a profession of faith, are wasting away uh, spiritually. Just kind of plagued by a, sp- by a sinful habit or, or filled with doubts or just kind of wasting their life. Nothing eternal is, is really being invested in or... 
no fruit of the Spirit. Instead of love, joy, and peace, it's, it's bitterness, grumpiness, and anxiety. And there's just not, not the evidence of, of the gospel taking uh, producing fruit in our life. Because we need to continue to invest in it. If you're a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have the fullness of Christ in you. But to see that experienced living out in your life, you need to keep listening with your heart and investing in the gospel. Jesus says, let him hear. (laughs) Pay attention to what you hear. Daily, hourly, turn your attention to the implications of the gospel. So we really need to, uh, we see about telling people, investing it, uh, two important parables that tell us how deeply we need to be devoted to the gospel of the kingdom. But here's what's really interesting. The message about King Jesus has a life of its own that goes beyond our efforts, beyond our diligence, beyond our our plans and strategies and commitment. Um, The the third of these four little parables, verse 26 to 29. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is, it's as if a man would scatter seed on the ground I'm getting the impression that he, uh, he's talking to a lot of people that live in kind of an agricultural setting, all, these, um, all the stories he tells. So this guy scatters the seed, and he sleeps, and he rises day and night, and the seed sprouts, and it grows, and he doesn't even know how. The earth produces it by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear, and when the grain's ripe, at once he pulls the sickle because the harvest has come. And we see... The message works independently of your effort. This, this does not contradict what I said earlier, but it's, a, it's another facet of the kingdom message. The farmer scattered the seed, and then he goes on with life, and the seed takes root and grows. He's like, how'd that even happen? Um, because the seed is alive. The very message about Jesus, it is living and active, and alive, and powerful to transform lives. The beginning of Romans says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Amen to that. It's not based on how clever Paul is to explain it. He said, you know, he he wasn't that clever at it. Uh, It's not how how good our PR is as a church. It's not being able to answer every single question somebody might raise. The gospel itself is powerful and alive and active. What, what do we need to do? We just need to live it and share it. Toss the seed. Um, my youth pastor, when I was growing up, uh, PJ, um, he's in heaven now, uh, he told this story that's really kind of fascinating. He was a really eccentric guy, <laughs> as some in this room can confirm. Um, but uh, he would share his faith everywhere at all times. In fact, he made a commitment uh, for some period of time that he would share Christ with at least one person, I think a day. Uh, it might have been a week. And he was literally uh, in bed and in his pajamas and realized he hadn't... Uh, he hadn't shared the gospel with somebody. So he gets up and walks down to 7-Eleven just to tell somebody about Jesus. So, you know, kind of an int- interesting guy. Um, but he, at some point in time, he had handed out to this guy a gospel track. And 
decades later, this guy comes to the church. Says, uh, "Is this guy's name on the back? Is he still? Is he still here? Um, because uh, he, he apparently just had this track stuffed in a, a book or something, and came across it at just the right time, and God opened up his heart to respond to the gospel message." And uh, Miracle of Miracles, the same youth pastor was there, you know, 20 years later. So that doesn't happen very often. Um, but uh, this guy came to follow Jesus because of the power of the message of the gospel. Because the gospel is alive and because God is sovereign. Okay, one, one more story Jesus tells. I think in this story we see that the message will grow and prevail. Verses 30 to 32. He said, Jesus again, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed. Do you see this mustard, these mustard plants is growing up all over our, our county right now? It, it's like that. Like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of the seeds of the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. As the message of the kingdom grows and spreads, so does the kingdom. So does the, the effective living out experiential rule of God in the world. It, it expands as the message expands and goes out. Um, Jesus said it's going to start small, it's, you hardly notice it, and it's going to keep growing and growing. Has this happened? Where, where was the seed planted, so to speak, of the kingdom? It's about as far from here as you can get. And now here and down the street and in other towns all over, there's groups of people meeting right now who follow Jesus, who believe that message. This, this certainly has happened. Christianity had very humble beginnings, but there are probably over 2 billion people who identify as Christians today. Over 2 billion. Now, in that group, there's probably different kinds of those uh, seed categories we were just talking about, but, but nonetheless, there's billions of people who, uh, who identify as a follower of Jesus and there's several billion who have heard the message. That's just absolutely incredible. Uh, you know, 12 guys, some obscure place in the Middle East a long time ago. And now, here we are, thousands of miles away, sitting here worshiping Jesus, <laughs> telling his, his story. Uh, if you watch the news or, or read the paper, follow social media, or just talk to the whoever's at the coffee house or whatever, you, you might start to doubt that, uh, that God's kingdom is advancing. Truth is, we don't know the fate of our culture. We don't even know the fate of our, of our nation. We do know the fate of the kingdom of Christ. It will, it will prevail. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We don't need to, to you know, bite our nails off and fret and freak out that uh, somehow Christianity is going to get swallowed up and disappear off the globe. It 
continues to grow. In any given location, all kinds of things can happen. We, we've seen it come and go. But ultimately, the kingdom of God will prevail. So if you see Christianity go up or down in the polls, don't fret. Just keep sowing. <laughs> just keep telling people about the mystery of Christ. Well, then Mark just gives us a little summary comment at the end. He says, uh, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them, verse 33, as they were able to hear it. He, d- he didn't speak to them without a parable to the crowds, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. And so this was his habit, you know, parables to the crowds, these kind of mysterious things, and then to those who really sought him out, he would explain more. So there will always be various responses to the message of Jesus. We can, we can anticipate that. We don't need to get so concerned. There will always be different responses. The fate of the gospel is not ultimately dependent on you, but you are ultimately dependent on the gospel. <laughs> so I think it should be our challenge for all of us is to treat the message like our lives depend on it. Think of the good news about Jesus like like you would in that, that plane going down, like, oh, I need to pay really, really, really close attention and do whatever that silly video tells me. I just need to do that. Right now, I need to do it exactly as they say and to, and to see the gospel in those kinds of terms, to live it out. And to uh, that guy next to you who had the headphones on on the plane and missed the whole thing, you need to bump him and tell him uh, how he could be saved as well. And so uh, treat the message not just like, my life depends on it, but like our lives depend on it. Um, there's a lot more in Mark we're going to see, but uh, I think this is really helpful for us to get our minds around why doesn't everybody respond to the, the message in the same way? Um, they, they were, we were never promised that that was going to happen because <laughs> hearts have been prepared in different ways. So let me just pray and, and thank the Lord for his gift of the word. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and, and giving yourself as, as the message. You, you lived it out in front of us. You revealed the Father to us. And, and then you also just spoke to us and clarified what the kingdom is like and what we should anticipate. And God, I pray that you would draw us all to embrace you fully, to embrace the implications of the gospel as they, they uh, play out in our daily lives and the choices we make and the things we we think about and the way we spend our money and the, the kinds of friendships we have and all those things, may it just be on our minds to, to fully embrace the good news about Jesus and do this for your glory alone. And it's in Christ's name we pray this. Amen.